Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Take your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 11. We're getting close to the end. There are only 12 chapters. So, uh, today, we get the hardest one in the book. But it's alright, we'll, we'll make it. We have, a, we have the Spirit's help. So it really is good to be home. You know, it's fun, exciting to go away. But there's nothing like coming home, you know. And so it's good to home, be home with you guys and want to tell you just a little bit. The trip to Brazil was exhilarating and exhausting at the same time. They've been doing ministry down there for uh, 25 years now, planting churches, uh, leading people to Jesus. I mean, that's the focus of their ministry, and they have lots of things that surround that to, to accomplish those things. They have an international school for children. Um, they've got an MMA uh, ministry now with David Taylor. I was able to meet David um, and go to a couple of his MMA classes, and uh, it was great to, to see that. Um, you know, he's getting punched and kicked 40 hours a week for Jesus. I mean, it, it, I'm not, I mean, it's like the real thing. You know, he's holding these pads up and they're popping, you know, and I'm like, whoa. You know, I'm taking pictures thinking I need to stay out of the way. Um, but Brazilians are flocking to this MMA ministry, and God is using that to, to bear a lot of fruit and um, it's from what I saw, David's presence and his ministry there are really bringing a revival to the whole ministry, you know, as those guys have been laboring for 25 years now to plant churches and reach folks for Christ. So it's really exciting. We're partnering with him. We are making a huge difference um, in, in his ministry and, uh, you know, and in, in the kingdom. So that's, it just was great to hear his story and, and to see what he's doing. And so I'm hoping he'll be able to come in December, uh, to, to meet you all. Um, but we'll see. The Lord has got to open some doors for him in that. I also took a couple of vision trips, uh, to a couple of new towns, Desteo and Fiera Nova. Um, this guy here is Carlos Augusto. He's a courageous man of God getting ready to start a church in a town that has no witness for Christ. Um, it is a, a church that is getting started because of that MMA ministry. So he gathered a bunch of people through there, started leading people to the Lord. There's enough of them now to start a, a little church. And they were... Uh, they were given a building that was abandoned, a church building that was abandoned. So they were moving into a building, um, and we were praying there in the sanctuary, and he was, you know, we were walking around the city and praying, and it was kind of neat. The other guy is Ricardo Silva, 
and he's on the next slide, Gab. Um, Ricardo, he's another warrior. I mean, he, he, this is the third time he's going to a new town, Fiera Nova, and he's starting from scratch with a small group of people, and everybody in his planting team is a teenager. And they're going uh, to this town, and they're going to begin to do events in the street uh, to, to gather attention and to talk to people about Jesus. And so right now, we went to Fiera Nova on uh, Tuesday morning, Last week, um, walking the streets, praying for open doors, that God would open doors. And we were at a field there on the left, um, and uh, it was a soccer field, all dirt. And it's a very poor community, very violent. Um, we, we had a prayer huddle for about 10 minutes. And while we were praying, people started gathering around. And those kids there on, on the left um, were there kind of going, what in the world are these guys doing? So before we left, Ricardo was talking to him. The boy sitting down there, his father was murdered a month ago. So that's the kind of of community that he's taking his family to, to see what God can do. So I'm telling you, just so incredible what what continues to go on down there, the courage these guys have, and and the love that they have for Christ and for other people. And so, you know, uh, next slide is uh, the church planting conference. They had a conference um, to celebrate the 25 years, and um, that room is full of Pastors and church planters that are connected to the World Renewal Brazil ministry. And, you know, when I go down there, I've been four times now, I haven't been for 11 years, so I just want to thank you for, you know, the opportunity to go down and and be a part of it again. Um, I go down to do a small bit of encouraging, but I come back with a lot of encouragement. And so I'm challenged, I'm convicted, you know, I want to do more, I want to make sure we're a church that partners with people like that. Um, in the gospel, so that they would come here and they wouldn't go, what are they doing? You know, they, that we're doing the same thing that they are. We're, we're sharing the gospel with people who don't know it, you know, and we're getting ready to turn 10 as a church, and as we move toward that 10-year um, celebration, I'm praying that our whole church will move toward mission, the mission of reaching people who don't know Jesus. And so that's going to mess with us, but that's good, because it's, it's, it'll make us God strong. So there's a lot of excitement, a lot of excitement uh, in Brazil over these two new churches uh, that are getting started. You know, and starting things is good. It's important. You know, some say starting things is half the battle. You know, right? It feels good to start. It's, it's exciting. You know, we're at the beginning of football season. Right, And so if you're a fan of a team and you've been following them, you know, reading about players, trades, injuries, all this stuff, you know... you. Just about everybody in the NFL, for instance, has some high hopes at this point. You know, they're kind of looking at the new season that's getting ready to start um, with some excitement, and they're hoping to see their team do some do some winning, do better than the previous year. But by the end of September, reality is going to set in, and and you know, it, it may be a very long season, a very hard season for for fans of some of these teams. So starting is important, but finishing is more important. And it's harder. And finishing well is even more difficult. Getting to the playoffs, getting to the Super Bowl, I mean, that's where the confetti flies. That's where they hand out the trophies. And so you're not going to get there without finishing strong. Well, in the book of Daniel, we've been going through this, and it's, it's, been, it's been titled God Strong. Living, living faithful to God in a godless world. 
And we've seen Daniel over 70 years of his life serving the kings of Babylon. And he's been faithful to God. His, his faith has been on display for people to see and people to hear. You know, remember back in, in Daniel chapter 2, everybody flocking to the statue when the king said, hey, everybody's got to worship and bow down to this thing. Daniel didn't do it. He stayed God strong. So he's given this, this great example um, of, of seeing and, and uh, showing people how to see and hear our faith. And so he's been getting these visions in the, as we got into the uh, latter half of, of the book. And the visions are about his people and the suffering they're experiencing. He's been fasting, he's been praying, he's been confessing to God, asking for help. He's been hearing about, you know, how his people went back to Jerusalem, seeing a promise that God made to them that they're going to be restored. But when they got there, they faced opposition and everything stopped. And so he's in that place right now where he is, he is struggling over that and praying uh, about that. And God sends him an angel to help him understand what life is supposed to be like, what it's going to be like. So there's this angel came to help Daniel, to help him in his grief, to help him finish his life God strong. So starting things is good, but finishing them is more important. And that's got to be our goal, you know, to finish God strong in our life. You know, our culture that we live in, it continues to be apathetic toward God and beginning to be anti-God. And, and they are running away from the Lord. So the more that that happens, the harder it is going to be for us to live God strong, to live faithful to God. And so there's help in this chapter. Believe it or not, in Daniel chapter 11, there's help for us to finish our life strong. Let's pray before we get into it. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your word today. Uh, we thank you that it's all good for us. And as we dive in here to Daniel 11, we pray that you give us wisdom and you give us encouragement and you give us direction uh, for our life and, and, and how we are supposed to live it today. Lord, you didn't put us in Brazil. You put us here in Indiana, in McCordsville. And you've given us people uh, to, to shine before for you. Uh, people that, that need to see and hear our faith. Um, use this word today to, to help us fulfill that great commission of making disciples. Um, I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. So the first help we get from Daniel chapter 11 is uh, it helps to know how it went. Helps to know how it went. Now, Daniel 11 is packed with detailed description of this king taking on that king and how those conflicts went. And so the chapter covers about 400 years worth of history. 400 years of fighting from Daniel's time in about 538 B.C. to about 168 B.C. roughly. And as you get in there, and if you've tried to read it, I'm sure you got dizzy. You know, as as uh, as I did last week, trying to sort through what's going on in this chapter. Well, let me just read an excerpt right from the beginning of the of the chapter. Verse one's kind of a holdover to to last week. This is the angel who's speaking to Daniel. He says, "And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth." Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, 
who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, this, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. So those verses are kind of summary verses of what's going on in the chapter. So it's kind of the, the chapter heading right there. And they're, they're sort of summary like Daniel got back in, in chapter 7 and, and chapter 8. And as you read through the rest of these verses in the chapter, we get amazing details about the different conflicts uh, that are going to happen. And so all of this was future for Daniel. All of it was, was going to happen later on than his life. And so God showed him who would fight who and, and how those fights would go and how they'd try to defeat each other. I mean, just listen to this, listen to this uh, description of the battle from verses 5 to 13. Then the king of the south shall be strong. But one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule. And his authority shall be a great authority. After some years they shall make an alliance. And the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm. And he and his arm shall not endure. But she shall be given up and her attendants. He who fathered her and he who supported her in those times. And from a branch from her roots one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold, and for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. His sons shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through, and again shall carry the wars as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north, and he shall raise a great multitude, but it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. For the king of the north shall, shall again raise a multitude great, greater than the first, and after some years he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. Make a good movie. I mean, it's just incredible. Now remember, um, all of that is future for Daniel. It's like what Daniel's getting there is he's getting the headlines of the news before the news happens. 400 years worth of headlines. How can it help him? How can it help Daniel? So the 400 years of news, you know what, as you read through that, it's a pretty good example and gives us a pretty good pattern of what life is like in this fallen world. You know, how it's going to go. If you just kind of read through there and take note of the grammar, the nouns, the verbs that are used to describe uh, what is going on, you know, they aren't words that we want to have associated with our life. You know, words like attack. Come against, cast down, the violent rise up, alliances made and broken, profaning the temple, betrayal, acting deceitfully. All of those things. I mean, who wants that, you know, in our obituary? <laughs> Nobody. I mean, but you get the idea. Daniel is being told that the opposition that's coming against his people is nothing unusual and nothing unexpected. It's just life. Life in this world. And life is hard, but it's not the end. And so he's trying to encourage Daniel. Now for us, 
we get the benefit of some history. We uh, are able to match up what God said in this chapter to what actually happened in the history books. And there's a lot of agreement about who is who and, and what is what. So all of the events can be traced to a history classroom somewhere if they're teaching right history. Even down to these details. For instance, in verses 6 to 8, they came true around 250 B.C. So when Ptolemy II, the king of the south, attempted to make peace with Antiochus II, king of the north, he did that by sending his daughter Bernice to marry him. Um, but... Um, Bernice was, she was, he was supposed to divorce his first wife and then, uh, disinherit the sons. But the first wife found out about the plot and she poisoned Antiochus and Bernice. So what happened was Bernice's brother took over. And so that's in verse 7. And a branch from her roots, one shall arise in his place. So, I mean, that's just incredible detail, isn't it? Daniel got it 250 years before. That's amazing. So for us, we're able to see, um, how it went. And it helps to know how it went. It helps us to finish God strong. See, God knew what was going to happen because God is a sovereign God. He is over history. He is control of history. He is on the throne. He is over the jungle. He is, he is in control of the mess. All of that is true. And when the mess comes to our life, when our health gets messed up or our job or you know our, our family, we can trust that our God is in control, that He, that he has us. And not, you know, there's not just a blind faith you know, that, we, that we need to believe that with. We've got evidence right here in Daniel 11. Verse after verse of conflict after conflict, detail after detail that, that actually happened. And Daniel heard about it before. So for us, it helps to know how it went. So no matter how bad it is in your life, we're in God's hands. No matter how bad it looks, you can know He's not asleep. He's not distracted. He's not looking the other way. God has got you. We are not left to chance. We are not left to the mercy of the devil. God has got you. He's got this. And so we keep going, believing that. We keep believing, we keep trusting in His love, we keep following His commands because He knows He's sovereign. And we know that because of how it went. Now, I, I realize that when we start talking about the sovereignty of God and His control over history, we can, we can kind of start having these questions pop up in our minds. But what about our freedom? How about our free will? Don't we have freedom to make choices? If God's in control, how am I not just a robot? I get that. I understand that. Those are good questions to ask. But I'm telling you, there's no good answers for them. No good answers. The questions cause us to wonder about God. You know, is He good? As we look at this world and the suffering that happens, the suffering that comes home, if God loves me, why is this happening to me? You know, when I, when I was down there at Fiera Nova, we were talking to this woman who had um, a cardboard box about like that, filled up with fabric, pieces of fabric, and she was shredding them. And basically what she was doing was she was shredding them so that they could use that at gas stations to wash windows. And she had to do five of these boxes to make $4 a week. And she, that was her life. She's sitting against her house, shredding. I looked down the street and there was a, about a three-year-old little girl 
dirty from top to bottom, wearing rags, rummaging through the trash, trying to find what looked like a plastic bottle to play with or take home. And I thought, God, why? You are the creator of the universe. You have all power. You can do anything. Why do these people have such a meager existence? So those questions come up. Or we're not going to get an answer. Not, not in, in this life we won't get an answer. And so it comes down to faith. Who do we believe our God to be? Is he loving? Is he good? Is he merciful? That's what the word tells us he is. That's what we want to believe. He's sovereign. Thank goodness he's merciful. Huh? And so that's how we continue to go. And believing that God is good and, and that trusting him, in him, uh, that somehow in all this mess, good is going to come out of it. So finishing God strong, you know, it, it isn't going to happen by asking why, but it is going to happen by keeping on believing. Believing in a sovereign God. Just, just believe it today, okay? Just one more day. That's all you got to do. Because faith is good for today. And we can believe because we know how it went. It also helps us to know how it will go. In verses 21 to 35, the prophecy kind of shifts toward and focuses in on one guy. A really bad dude named Antiochus Epiphanes. He's a Greek. He came up in back, in, back in Daniel 8. God gives Daniel some amazing details about his rise to power and what he does to fight the other kings and, and how he uses flattery and intrigue and deceit and grows a sizable army, sweeping away enemies, amassing great wealth through plunder. Just listen to verses 29 to 35. At the appointed time he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. So all of that is talking about this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes. I'll try to say it, try to say it right. There's historical record about what happened uh, in him, how these events came to pass. So up through verse 35, there's pretty solid ground to stand on. But once you get into verse 36, on the way to the end of the chapter, things get kind of muddy. There's a, there's a myriad of interpretations about you know, what verses 36 to verse 45 is really talking about. Um, is it history? Is it future? You know, there's questions about that. And so when you think about it and you look at this chapter and you see all of this up to verse 35 um, has been solid. You know, there's details. You can point to history. Everybody, everybody agrees, conservative and liberal alike, agree who these people are and who fought who and all that stuff. So you kind of go, well, after that, everybody kind of diverges. Maybe it is future. It hasn't happened yet. It's, it's down the road. And so the details about Epiphanes are not just about Epiphanes. 
but he serves as this model for a future one like Epiphanes, an antichrist who will come later. In verses 36 to 45, they tell us how it will go. I'm going to read just a little bit of those from verses 40 to 45. I, I didn't get this in the PowerPoint. It was in a Brazil fog when I was doing that. So, um, at, the, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. That's uh, the future Antichrist. But the king of the, of the north uh, shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall. But these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main parts of the part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the, from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out from the, with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. You know, it happens in prophecy that uh, a prophecy gets fulfilled, and then it gets fulfilled again. It's called a dual a dual fulfillment. So God tells somebody what's going to happen and it happens in the short term and then it also happens again in a larger sense in, in the long term. So it's, it's called dual fulfillment. And so the first fulfillment is like a model about how the second fulfillment is going, going to go. It's a greater fulfillment. And that's one way to look at Daniel chapter 11, that there's this greater fulfillment going on. So when we go to the detailed description of wars and rumors of wars at the beginning of the chapter, and then we get to that Antiochus Epiphanes, and then that sort of blurs into a future fulfillment of the end of days as we know it. That's kind of how you can look at this chapter uh, as, as it's given to us. So Epiphanes, he would be that model for an antichrist that will come into the world at the end of days to oppose believers and the kingdom of God. And so now what we're reading is future for both Daniel and us. How does it help us? It helps us to know how it will go. You know, I was, um, I was at the gym a couple months ago, which seems like a long time ago. But I was working the elliptical machine. And all those machines have a TV right, right in front of it, you know. And I had it on the Big Ten Network. And I was watching a rerun of Purdue football's bowl game back in December. Now, the first time that I watched that game, I didn't know what was going to happen. I almost turned it off. But the second time I'm watching this, and I know what the outcome is going to be. Purdue's going to win. But as I'm watching it, I'm going, I'm watching Purdue do what they normally do in a football game, mess up, you know. And so I'm watching this, and I'm like, how are they going to pull this off? But I kept remembering, they're going to win. They're, they're going to win. I know how it was going to go. Well, as, as we read these verses about the Antichrist, he sounds like a formidable foe. He's going to seem indestructible and all-powerful. He's going to destroy believers by the tens of thousands. He's going to seem unstoppable on his way to victory. If we didn't know how it will go, if we're alive when it happens, we might be tempted to turn the game off. We might be tempted to stay home and hide and protect ourselves. We might be tempted to forget God's promises. We might even be tempted to hop on the other team that looks like they're getting ready to win. 
All of that's at stake. But we do know how it will go. Daniel 11 verse uh, 32 is a key verse. He will flatter and win over those who have violated the covenant. So people who um, say they're believers but they really aren't. So he'll flatter them. He'll win them over to his side. There's those people who jump on the bandwagon because it looks like this guy's winning. But the people who know their God will be strong and will resist him. So finishing God strong in our life means we're going to be part of a resistance. And in the face of what appears to be a losing battle, we will, be, we will continue to keep resisting this enemy and serve the kingdom of God. Daniel 11.33 speaks about that. The wise stumbling and falling by sword and flame and slavery and plunder. That's the cost of being a part of the resistance. Finishing God strong means we're going to be giving our life for the kingdom. And that may literally mean we give our life for the kingdom. But knowing how it will go will help us stay on the, in the game on the right side of victory. So in between the place between today and where we are today and the place where potentially we could be martyred for our faith, in between that time there are thousands and thousands of daily choices that we can make to give our life away for the kingdom of God. To be part of the resistance to speak up for Jesus, to lead people to Him, to be His hands and His feet, to cross the line into enemy territory, to rescue just one more. That's what we're called to do. And if we will do that, if we'll be faithful to that calling, you can be sure the enemy is going to rise up and he's going to provide some opposition, some persecution. God allows it because He uses it. He uses it to transform us. Verse 35 said that. You know, the wise will stumble so that they will be purified and made white ready for the final day. So God doesn't waste anything that happens to us. And as we face persecution in our life right now in very small and minor ways, you know, the only reason to resist and to, to suffer for the kingdom is because we know how it will go. I mean, if God is not in control, if He is not sovereign, if Jesus doesn't win, suffering for the kingdom makes no sense. I mean, we might as well just give our lives to making money and having fun and entertaining ourselves to death. Because what we're doing here is going to be hard. There's a lot easier way to live life than being a Christian. Don't believe the lie that you get blessing and health. Well, health and wealth. Don't believe that. It's huge in our country. It's huge around the world. It's a heresy to believe that. We're headed for destruction, for targets on our back. That's where we're headed if we want to be faithful uh, to the Lord. So Daniel 45, it tells us how it's going to go. So this formidable foe, this guy who looks like he's steamrolling the church into, uh, into extinction, is going to go down without a fight. It said he shall come to his end and no one will be able to help him. It's like a footnote on the verse. His destruction. So knowing how it will go, who's going to win gives us inspiration. It gives us motivation to keep resisting, to stay in the game, to keep practicing giving our lives to Jesus. And it's in that resisting that we find strength. 
strength to finish God strong in our life. In Brazil, I met this guy from Pakistan. And we ate at a Chinese restaurant owned by a German. <laughs> just, yeah, just kidding. We did eat at a Chinese restaurant together. So this guy from, from Pakistan, uh, his name is Shabazz. And in Pakistan, he was evangelizing uh, people there. And he was beginning to bear fruit in his ministry. I believe his ministry was like 15 years long in Pakistan. And he had, he had planted several house churches. And so he's going around to house to house. He's showing up at big events. And he's sharing Jesus with people. Well, that fruit bearing that he was doing made the enemy rise up. And, and uh, the authorities began to uh, persecute his family. His brother was arrested, thrown in prison, and beaten almost to death. Um, his family, his wife and six kids, they were put in danger because they started looking for Shabazz. And so the Lord led them to be able to escape Pakistan and they flew to Rio. And the story about how they did that was pretty miraculous. They were on the plane and an announcement comes over the plane. Hey, everybody needs to get off. And, you know, so he's thinking, uh-oh, they're going to arrest me. But, he, but they made it. They made it to, to Rio. And he's been there two years now. And he's... Um, started two churches in that time with about 60 new believers. I mean, he is a warrior, a courageous follower of Jesus, just serving and being faithful to him in a world that is so hard. And when I look at him, you, you know what? The, you know who's suffering the most in the world? Any, any idea? I am. Isn't that how we are? I mean, the greatest suffering in the world is the suffering we're going through right now. I'm hungry. I need to go lunch. Until we see the suffering of someone else. You know, and I see what Shabazz has gone through to be faithful to Jesus. And I just felt like, man, I haven't made any sacrifices in any. You know, I just been, I scraped my knee maybe compared to what that guy's gone through. question is, are you part of the resistance? Are you part of the resistance? Have you, has anyone ever gotten mad at you because you were a believer in Jesus? Have you lost a friend because of him? Have you lost a job because of him? Because of Christ? You know, just staying in the church is a safe thing to do. If we, if we just kind of focus on these four walls and what's going on in here, nobody's going to bother us. You know, they, eventually, maybe one day, they won't make this legal to do this. But, uh, but you know, this is a safe place. It's a good place. It's comfortable. If we just spend our whole life teaching people how to be better Christians, nobody's going to bother us. But if we go out into the harvest field, and we go out where it's dark, there's some suffering out there. There's some life to give. Why don't we go out there? The number one reason is because we're afraid. We're afraid and fear causes us to hide. Fear causes us to be paralyzed. Causes us to be silent. And I guarantee you the enemy will try to make us afraid. He is all show. He is a dog that's all bark. And that's what he'll do. He'll try to make us afraid to keep us home, to keep Jesus, the name of Jesus from coming out of our mouth. That's his strategy. But if we want 
to finish strong, if we want to finish God strong in our life, we're going to have to advance against the odds. We're going to have to go after the team that is winning. And we won't do that unless we're sold out. And we won't sell out unless we believe and know how it's all going to go. So it helps to know how it will go. And it helps to know how it will be. How it will be. Listen to verses uh, 1 to 3 of chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So there's some really good information in there about how it will be. How it will be. First of all, we, we hear how there's going to be this time of trouble like the world has never seen. That's, that's the bad news. But the good news is God's people will be delivered. Everyone whose name is found written in the book, the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, will be saved. Everyone. Now people are going to rise from the dead that have fallen asleep in the dust. They're in their graves. They're going to rise from the dead. They're going to rise either to everlasting life or to everlasting death. There's only two people in the world. Saved people and lost people. And we should try to remember that. The wise, those who have trusted in Christ, they're going to shine like the noonday sun. And those who are out working in the harvest field or trying to turn people to righteousness, they're going to shine like the stars forever. A lot of good things to know there about how it will be. To finish God strong, we need to keep believing in a sovereign God who is in control of this mess. We need to keep resisting the enemy. Continuing to work out there in the world. And we need to keep leading people to Jesus. And knowing how it will be should influence what we do today. So, according to these verses, every single one of us who knows Jesus needs to be an evangelist. Every single one of us. I mean, if we're going to love God and love people... How can we let our family members not have an opportunity to know the Lord? How can we let our neighbors not have an opportunity to meet Him? How can we let the people that we work with, spend so much time with, go to lunch with every week, how can we let, not let them know about Christ, about what He's done for them, about His love for them, and what He's done for their, for their life? How can we not? How can we not give them a chance to put their name in in the uh, book of eternal life and receive it? Knowing how it will end will help us finish God strong, faithful to Him and fruitful for Him. And if we're going to do that, it means we have got to go out into the harvest field. Every one of us. Every one of us. We must get over our fears and trust God. Go like He says to go. Looking for those who we can turn to righteousness. That's how we finish God strong. 
you know, as we make our way to celebrating 10 years as a church, I'm praying that we make our way to becoming a church on mission for the next 10 years. To, to be intentional about reaching those who aren't here. Telling them about Christ. The next series is going to be called Stepping Stones at Living Streams. And it's really about who we are. What we're doing, why we're doing it, why it's eternal. And, and then we'll have a chance to commit to it again as a church. And so I'm looking forward to, to sharing that again. But you know what? To give ourselves to this, it's going to take courage. It's going to take faith. And it's going to take all of us to see an impact. Now, you might be thinking, I'm at the wrong church. This is not what I signed up for. I don't know how to lead somebody to Jesus. I don't have the gifts to be able to do that. Uh, I'm not a mature... I don't have enough answers. I'm not mature enough in my faith. I mean, we have all kinds of things that, that, that we struggle with when it comes to this. When it comes to evangelizing. And I get it. But do you know how long you have to be a Christian before you can make, uh, lead someone else to be a Christian? About 15 minutes. Long enough to get your story about how you came to Christ. How you put your faith in Him. That story of what my life was like before Him, how I met Him, and what's it like following Him. If you haven't written that story down, you need to do it today. And it doesn't need to be very long. Keep it to about a page. Something that you can share pretty quickly. Know your story. And use that to share Jesus' love with other people. You know, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus is confronted there by this man who's possessed by a legion of demons. And this man comes up to him, and what do you, the spirit starts talking, what do you want with this Jesus? And they have this conversation, and they say, don't cast us, you know, cast us into this herd of pigs. Jesus does that, the pigs run off the cliff and die. The man's sitting there in his right mind. There's a bunch of people that see this. They were waiting for Jesus to come. They go back to the town and they start talking. But instead of telling what happened to the man, they say, Hey, this is what happened to the pigs. Because it was their livelihood. Jesus has ruined their life. So they come back to Jesus and they say, Please go away from us. But the man says, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. He's begging him, Jesus, let me follow you. You know what Jesus tells him? No. You go home. And you tell your own people what the Lord has done for you. The mercy that you have received from God. We don't need to go through years and years of training to be able to lead somebody to Jesus. Listen, we're never going to have all the answers. Never. If you have a story about how you came to Christ and how He changed your life, you can share that story and God will use it to lead others to Him. It's amazing. That's how we want to finish God strong. Knowing how it will end helps us to step out in faith into the harvest field instead of staying home in fear. Knowing how it will end. So finishing God strong. Daniel 11, 12, verse 3. Keep believing in a sovereign God. Keep resisting even though the enemy looks like he's going to win. And keep leading people to Christ. That's how we finish God's role. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And 
as we close the service today. And it, Listen, if you have a story like the one I described, but a story of how Jesus rescued you from death to life, how He forgave your sins, changed your heart, changed your life, the meal we're about to have is for you. But if you don't have that story, would you do me the honor of listening to mine? I grew up in a family that went to church. There isn't a day that I remember in my life that I did not know Jesus' name. When I was 11, I uh, was made aware of what happens to people after they die. People who believed in Jesus went to heaven. People who didn't went to hell. Well, I didn't want to go to hell, so Jesus was for me. So I prayed a simple prayer to keep myself out of hell and went about living and growing, growing up. Well, that prayer produced a very religious life. I attended church, went to youth group. I prayed, you know, when I needed God's help. I read my Bible occasionally. All along the way, I was hurting people, kind of doing things my way. I was a nice guy. I was nice. Might might even be nicer than I am today back then. But I was doing things my way, hurting people along the way, thinking I was in on God's way. In June of 1994, on Friday night, June 3rd, I believe it was, uh, I heard a message about trusting Jesus with your life. And by God's grace, I stood up and responded to that message. And he came into my heart and he took over my life. Jesus, Jesus, he gave his life on that cross for, for me that night. How could I not give my life back to him? And so that's, that's what I did. The love I knew about that he had for me my whole life, I received that night and it changed me. It changed my heart. The story doesn't end on the cross. He's buried. Three days later, he rises from the grave. Jesus is alive. And he called out to me to come and follow him. To live his way, to love his way, giving your life like he gave his life for us. And since then, I'm telling you, it's been one big great adventure following Jesus. He rescued my marriage. He blessed my business. He gave me a new purpose in my life. He, he gave me a new job as a pastor. He broke the power of sin in my life. I'm not a slave to it anymore. I'm not hurting people all the time. I'm following Him. He set me free from Satan. And He called me to share about Him and His his Word. And so every day this adventure continues of knowing Jesus and making Him known in this world. So that's my story. You have a story like that? If you don't, if you realize today you, you don't have a story like that, listen... God's talking to you today. He's speaking to your heart, helping you see that. He's asking that you trust Him. Trust in Christ today. Trusting your life into His hands. You know, the victory that Jesus had over death can be your victory. It can be your promise to claim today if you'll trust Him. And so if you want to do that today, This meal is for you too. To come up and pray. Take a step of faith into Jesus. And He will change your life. For those of you who who do have a story, who know your name's in the book, 
Jesus called us to do this, to remember him by taking a piece of bread and a, and a cup that symbolized his body that was broken, his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Today we're going to do communion just a little bit differently. We're going to leave the elements over here on the sides. And so when you come forward, uh, come and get your elements first. And then you're welcome to pray at the altar or use the front row or even go back to your seat to take communion. Okay? Just kind of watch about how con- congested it is up here. We don't want to get too congested. We want to take our time. Um, so when you get the elements, just spend some time remembering what Christ has done for you. Thank God and ask Him for a little help. Uh, help to live God strong. Finish God strong in our life. Let's pray. For this is what the Lord himself has said about his table, and I have passed it on to you before. That on the night when Judas betrayed him, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks to God for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take this and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new agreement between God and you that has been established and set in motion by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me whenever you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the message of the Lord's death, that he has died for you. Do this until he comes again. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we are able to come to this table today because of your grace to us. Not by anything that we've done good this week or no, no way we could earn this or deserve it. But only by what Jesus has done by His work, by His perfection, and His love for us. We believe in Him again today. We, we just want to spend some time remembering how He did the work, giving up His body, shedding His blood. We thank You, Lord, for that grace. We pray, Father, just for a little help today, too. As the Word said there, You give a little help for those who are wise to keep going. Lord, help us keep going today. Help us live one more day for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.